Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Hello everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, and out there is Henry Newman. How you doing, Henry? I'm doing well, Dan. That's good. And we have Shaheen Khan sitting in a conference room somewhere. A darkened conference room. Where he's room. blacked out, so no one can identify him. It's just that there's yeah. light behind me, Dan. There's a window behind me with a beautiful view of Los Altos, California. Do you want us to mask your voice as well? <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. We have that technology pixelate the image, the whole nine yards. So, on the docket today, guess who had a good week? I know. Amazing week. Yeah, it wasn't me. It was Cray. I think it's been like an amazing year. It's been a pretty good year for Cray. They have put some uh, some numbers in the accounts receivable ledger. They sure have impressive amounts, Dan. Coral has come to mean Cray for all. Coral, <laughs> Crail, whatever you want to call it, they just landed the last coral and this makes a hat trick for them they've got the other two right i didn't know you had hat tricks in supercomputing dan well it works in hockey it works in supercomputing but this this uh puts a 1.5 exaflop the el capitan system for lawrence livermore is now in the cray category it's going to use the shasta architecture the slingshot interconnect and although we're not absolutely sure what chip yet or do we know? Uh, they said that decision has not been made yet. That it wasn't like they're not disclosing it, but that the node architecture was something that the contract stipulated that they would work together to define as they get closer to the installation. So it could be Xeon, it could be Power 9 or 10, could even be AMD or ARM. I don't think some of those choices are going to be possible given other connectivity and software in the Cray stack, Dan. Well, according to you guys, a couple of shows back, you said MIPS is still alive, so I'll throw MIPS in that category, too. <laughs> I said it was alive, but I didn't say it was was going to be used. RISC-V could be in it, Dan. You forgot RISC-V. That's true. That's true. My money is on Xeon or AMD, if I had to bet. And I'm going to bet you're going to need a huge heaping helping of GPUs to get this thing off the ground. Well, I was just thinking, given that the decision hasn't been made, they're probably inundated with CPU vendors trying to get that business. Yeah, with all four of them or three of them, depending on how you're counting. Well, well, you know, uh, it's a couple of years out. That is plenty of room for new projects to be devised and projected and bid. That's true. That's true. But this is a huge deal. It is a huge deal, and it, it's a huge deal for Cray, too. I think it's really important to uh, to recognize the progress they've made. Oh, absolutely. I think it's a combination of the great work that they've been doing, and they have been doing that, and also perhaps perceived weakness from other players. Would you say that? Yes. Well, the other comment I'd make is maybe the other players is not necessarily perceived weakness per se. It might be that... They just don't want to participate in that part of the market. Oh, I don't know if that's the case. Um, it might be. For some it's of them. For some of them. Yes. So that was my point. That's a good point. 
But there I mean, aren't that many mean, players left, really, Henry. I mean, who's yeah, going to bid for this? I was hoping right. somebody like AWS or Microsoft Azure would bid for this and just really change. But then the RFP is written for a on-premises system. Yeah. And they could still do that by saying, okay, we'll just create you as another zone that is dedicated to you. And put it in your data center, but we'll manage it? That's... And meet all the sec- DOE the security, security regulations. Yes, and, and connect into HPSS and, and, or whatever the archival system of the future. Yeah, best well, of luck to you, Shaheen. That's Clearly insanity. that didn't happen, so all of these issues and maybe more were, were part of it. But my point is that if you take those guys out, you're looking at Cray, HPE, IBM, Dell, who else? That's it. That's pretty much it. Well, and the, maybe maybe Intel, maybe Nvidia. Well, although, but Intel Intel isn't an integrator, Shaheen. And well, they did and have uh, Aurora. They did, but I thought Cray was doing the work on Aurora. Correct, but I think but they formed it so that the chip vendors. As a sub, and I guess I guess my point goes back to what I said: is maybe the other. Players do not want to participate at this highest end of the market, given the costs and the profit margins. I mean, that well, could IBM be- has got Summit and Sierra, and HPE has been making a full court press to the point that they even went out and bought Cray or working on it. Yeah, but again, there's only three. But yeah, this was in a while ago. Yeah. So what was our point with this? I forget. Henry saying that maybe they didn't want to play, and I'm and I'm not buying. Now, they want to play to an extent, but it's going to get pretty expensive for like a Dell to do this. But of the few we've mentioned, Dell's the only one that's traditionally not gone for these big, big high-end ones. Yes. IBM has, Cray has, SGI did. HPE. HPE has certainly looked like they're doing it in a big way for the past couple of years. Yeah. Right. You're correct about Dell and maybe the, the, in the future... But it's not something you wake up one day and say, oh, I want to do this. And then the next day you go, you're able to do it. It takes many years and a significant investment and a long-term commitment to, you yes. know, from everything from benchmarking to engineering. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the whole gambit. It's an ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But kudos to Cray. They've got a clean sweep. We have these three sites, Aurora Frontiers and now with El Capitan. They also had a couple of few wins in the past few weeks. Henry, you sent out a link with their army wins. Right, yep. And that's for a system that hasn't even shipped yet. So this right. is incredible. Well, they, I think they well, have an order it, of $1.5 billion of backlog for that system. Yep, it's a big deal. That's a big deal, very big deal. It's a big deal given the recent revenue challenges. It's a huge deal. So congratulations. Yes. And of course, all of it is kind of going to HPE. So good job, HPE. Snapping it up at the right time. Yeah, be, why the price was better. Yeah. No kidding. Good call. Now, you know, the last time, quote unquote, Cray sold anything like this to anybody was the BSD division to Sun, which Dan and I were a part at the time. And that went on to be a giant success for Sun. So I'm thinking that maybe HP is buying another E10K. Maybe better. Maybe better. You're right. I would just say this way. The E10K was will probably be more profitable because it was in a commercial environment than supercomputers and government space. And it has to be said it was brilliantly marketed. Wink, wink. Yes, no kidding. <laughs>
Ah, and since then, and I had something to do with that. Back, re- Just because I didn't do it doesn't mean you have to do it yourself. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of other important news that isn't really connected to this at all, there was a great interview on HPC Wire talking about AI is the next exascale. It's lengthy. We'll put the link in, but it was an impressive meaty, fact-filled interview with Rick Stevens from Argonne National Lab. So Rick Stevens, Associate Lab Director at Argonne, one of the luminaries of the field and just an excellent guy. This is a really important topic, and it really is about the impact of AI in science. What is the opportunity for AI in science? What are the applications of it in science? Where do you use it? Where do you not use it? Does it really help something? Does it not? That is really the question of our times, and I think to address it and to put your arms around it is an important task that they have taken on and they're holding town hall meetings around the country to get some community engagement into this. They did the same thing for the exascale way back, and that was a qualitatively different because you were using the same models. You were just asking, what could you do if you had n times more performance. This one is more like, in what way is science changing because of AI? Well, and Gene, when they were doing the exascale back in the mid, well, I guess it was mid to late 2000s, there was a lot more known about what they were trying to solve with exascale. And some of the challenges were the hardware and the application scaling. And yes, there were science changes, but on different algorithms, but this is completely new and different. That comparison is not a direct comparison. Exactly. And I think that's the point that he makes, that this is qualitatively different. And it also happens at a time when we're seeing convergence through just sheer progress that's been made all over the place, from AI to simulation to robotics to blockchain to everything. And every one of them has a shot at impacting science in one way or another. Now, I think to me, it's the use of AI is at crudely speaking, is that you want to deal with data. And depending on what data you have and how much data you have, the methodologies you use to deal with it are clear. And if you have no other way to manage and make sense of data than AI, well, then indeed you have to use AI to make sense of it because existing methods don't work. But if your existing methods can handle the data, then you have to look for a different use case and see how AI can qualitatively change it. Well, I think it can do that, as he talks about uh, in the interview, through informing your simulations, informing them and making them better by going back through the data and picking out those variables that might not be intuitive or finding blind alleys. And there are other things, rather than the science of DOE, things like smart cities and other things that are not... HPC-type applications that are going to be part of this. And I'm curious as to how they're going to address that because that's not within some of the scope of what they've done historically. He mentions this too, that there is a whole bunch of new applications of HPC, and many of those are a lot more AI-ready than, let's say, your traditional ab initio computational chemistry thing, where the data is the atomic number of what you're simulating and everything else is derived from that. And then in that case, like Dan was saying, the number of simulations you have run over the past 20 years is where you get the data. And you say, ah, well, 
seems like this is how I converge to the results that I want. And now that I have AI looking at everything I've done for the past 10 years, maybe it can help me formulate the input set for my next simulation a little bit different than I would have done. And that makes it converge with three fewer iterations. And Shaheen, I thought the most interesting you just said of what your whole multi-sentence was, AI is HPC. And I am still not convinced that AI is HPC. And it seemed to be constantly equated. And I don't buy it yet. No, I was talking about AI's application to traditional simulation could be just a meta application. You don't change the simulation itself. You just change your entire workflow. And if you're doing hundreds of runs, maybe you can now do 50 runs to converge. So that's one use case. The other use case is, like you were saying, are these new applications where you say smart city and you say, well, smart city, that's just traditional IoT and what could possibly be HPC about it. But it turns out there are some aspects of it that are really computationally intensive. And then, of course, on top of that is what you just said about is AI HPC or is AI a subset or a superset or on the side. And as you well know, my view is that the only part of AI that anybody cares about is deep learning, and deep learning is very much HPC. By your definition. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that too. And let's not argue that now. We can argue that many more times. The thing that I wanted to get to is that he talks a lot about the experimentalists and sort of positions that as a fourth kind of science in that with what AI gives you, these guys can go out and just sort of let the AI match up things like new materials, new compounds for drugs, etc. Now, traditionally, we've had experiment, theory, and simulation as the three legs of modern science. And the presence of data in its massive quantity is presenting a potential fourth leg. And maybe that can now be described as AI. But I think he's also making a point that AI can pull the experimentalists back into the core of science and not just outside of the simulation workflow. Mm. That is interesting. Right now, experiments traditionally have not generated so much data that AI is necessary, but now they are spewing data. And anything that is instrumented is data. All the data can be relevant. So now you're gathering so much data that there's no other way to make sense of it. So now AI can become an integral part of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So the analogy I make is if you look at back in physics in high school, you ran experiments, you plotted the data, and you would essentially rederive the formula that you were trying to study, like F equals MA. The same thing happens in science all the time. All the data that you had have led to all the formulas that we have and the equations that describe nature. So in some ways, AI is simply the kind of data reduction that is beyond our capability and you just let a machine do it. So now you have a black box and maybe in due course, not a black box that essentially says all this data generates all that output and here is a black box that can approximate it sufficiently well for you. Excellent. Well, I don't know if you hear that sound. So, Henry, why don't you give us a glimpse into your horrifying world of threats and menaces? 
Yeah, and the latest one I found of this week was the Canon high-end DSLR cameras have vulnerabilities and can be hacked. So the Internet of Things and Wi-Fi connectivity down to your cameras can now impact your whole network and your environment. And they can upload viruses from your camera to your network, which that they can put on yep. to your network into your system. I put the link on that we can post. That's my uplifting security thing of the Very week. Very nice. Impressive and just great. And I think on that point, why don't we go ahead and call this an episode of Radio Free HPC. We'll see you all very soon. And thank you all for listening. Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.